We are in our summer series, You Are Meant for More. We're going, doing a walk through First Timothy. Um, we are in chapter 4, so we've been at this for five weeks, or this is our fifth week. We did a little intro week about what's going on, why Paul is writing to Timothy, what's the situation Timothy is in. And then we've been going through chapter by chapter, um, and we have been, I've been talking less and giving you more opportunity to discuss um, because this is where church really happens. It's not about sitting down and consuming all that the, the worship team and the pastor can give you, but it's actually diving into the material and wrestling with it and applying it and, and doing it together, doing it as a family. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to speak for a little bit. I'm going to hand out some discussion questions here shortly for you to go through. Everyone online, it'll pop up on the screen for you to follow along and discuss with everyone at home. But to kick everything off, to get everyone chatting at your table, I'd like you to take a couple minutes and discuss what is the weirdest superstition you've ever heard? What is the weirdest superstition that you have ever heard, take a few moments, discuss, share at your table. All righty. Um, let's hear from the tables. What is the weirdest superstition your group could come up with this morning? Go. Whistling in the house. Really? That's a new one. I hadn't heard that one. Okay, we got whistling in the house. I heard don't step on a crack, you break your mother's brack. Come out of this table over here. I was listening to a podcast. There's a guy who like skipped down sidewalks because he's so paranoid about hitting those cracks. Like I was just like, he's like, I probably look weird, but I love my mama. Like that was kind of his response. Anybody else? Couple more. Don't walk under a ladder. Seven years bad luck. 
Anything else? Don't break a mirror. Okay, this table's dominating right now. One, uh, so another table, just to kind of. Sports world. Michael Jordan, for the duration of his time with the Bulls, I don't know if he did it when he played for Washington, wore his college shorts under his uniform every single game, never missed. I was like, that's weird. <coughs> when he was asked about it, he's like, I washed them after every game, but nobody believed him. That, no. <laughs> no, he didn't. We're on to you. All right, um, so the reason we started there is uh, this morning one of the things that Paul brings up, depending on your translation, he says, Timothy, don't give your time to myths, to silly wives' tales, and some translations say to superstitions. And, he's, and oh, I'm going to unpack why he said that. Uh, there's three points that I want, you to, I want to highlight for you, and then I'm going to turn it over to you to read through the chapter and uh, have some discussion. But the three, so the first point that Paul brings up that he, to his young friend in Timothy, <coughs> is to avoid false teachers. He said in the, uh, in the last days, there's going to be those who rise up and they're going to teach the teachings of demons. And people are going to turn away from the faith because of how deceptive and how sneaky these teachings are. Are. And then he goes on, he talks about how some of the teachings these guys are going to present, or ladies are going to present, is that it's bad to get married, and it's bad to eat certain foods. Now, the, now out front, those don't seem overtly bad. Paul himself at some point said, I would prefer that you didn't get married so that you could give your attention fully to God. So what is Paul getting at? He's like, these are stepping stone teachings. Because you can make an argument for these things. The Jewish people didn't eat certain foods, and Paul himself said, don't get married. And we can be convinced that these things are, you know, bad or whatever. But, and, and it's not a big leap, but we go from there to, you know, so I pick on the marriage one. It's bad for you to get married. And it goes to, it's okay to live together. And it goes to, uh, you don't have to marry the same person of, an op of the opposite gender. And it, it digresses, and it's not, when people get caught up in cults and false teachings, they don't just jump in at the worst, most absurd uh, lie. It's these stepping stone, small lies that slowly but surely draw people away from the truth that is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And so Paul says, beware... Because your enemy is sneaky, he's deceptive above all, and he's going to give you these half-truths that are going to sound good to your ears. The scriptures talks about how there's going to be, it, there's going to be teaching that's going to be honey to the ears of those who hear it. He says, beware of these, because they're designed to get your attention, to get you to like them, but they're going to draw you away. And Paul's solution to this, he says, Timothy, make sure that you're teaching the word. Make sure you're reading it to the people often. Make sure you're teaching it in its fullness. Just inundate your body, inundate the church of Ephesus with the word so that they know what the truth is and they're just soaked in it. And I was thinking and praying about it. My 
greatest concern for the church in North America is that we're probably the most deceptible church in all of history when it comes to deception because we're not in the Word like we used to be. It's the, statistically, there are fewer and fewer people who are in the Word of God regularly. Statistically, there's more and more Bibles in our homes that, are full, that have dust on them or just display pieces than are actually being cracked open and used and highlighted <clears throat> and, I, and I'll get back on my soapbox here a little bit. One of my concerns is that um, as much as I love a good reading plan, we can so often get caught up just doing a reading plan and get the check mark instead of actually getting into the Word and studying it. This is why when we give Bibles to our grads, we give them a study Bible. So that's not just the words on a page, but there's material there that they can dig into and they can ask the hard questions and get into it because it's not just reading it's studying, it's memorizing, it's getting it into our hearts and our minds so that when a lie comes along, we recognize it for what it is and we reject it immediately. The problem is we're just not as drenched in God's word and God's truth as we need to be to protect ourselves. So Paul's first, te- first warning is about false teachers. His second warning is about meaningless topics. <coughs> And this is where he brings up the myths and the old wives' tales and the superstitions. He says, don't get caught up in these discussions. Don't get caught up talking about these meaningless things. And this is not the first time Paul has brought this up with Timothy. In chapter 1, he talked about how people get caught up in meaningless discussions. And what we said then was that people were diving into the Old Testament. They're trying to find a new teaching. And so they're dissecting details of the Old Testament that don't need to be dissected, and they're arguing over details of the Scripture that don't need to be argued about. It was causing division within the church when Paul's like, we just need to get focused on the Gospel. We need to be so focused on the good news that saved us. We need to get so focused on the good news that actually sets us free that we don't need to get hung up having these arguments. We don't need to get hung up having these discussions. (laughs) <laughs> so he repeats it to his young friend, and he says, Timothy, do not get caught up in these time wasters. And his solution for his young friend is work hard. Give yourself fully to the work that, I have, that you've been called to. And not only give yourself fully to the work that you've been called to, but work on your godliness. I love this verse that he that Paul quotes for his young friend. He says this, First um, Timothy four eight. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And this is intentional on Paul's part. He's drawing a connection because Timothy is young, and he, you know, like all young guys, they like to get in shape and you know, look feeling good and looking good. And Paul's like, I'm glad you're doing that, but. It's actually more important that you train your godliness, that you work on your godliness. And so um, maybe part of your discussion this morning is unpacking what does it mean to be godly? What does that look like? What, what, what does Paul mean by that? I think he's going to answer that in the, sec- in the second here, but don't waste your time. As Paul says often in the other letters, he said, time is short. Jesus is coming back any moment now. And there's so many things in our life that just are absolute time killers, right? I just have time to kill. Well, yeah, I don't actually have time to kill. Because there's people who don't know Jesus. There's work to be done. Give yourself fully to the work that God has called you to. The third thing that Paul brings up is he says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. 
And this is probably one of the most quoted verses out of 1 Timothy. Um, 1 Timothy 4.12. I'm not going to put it up because I think we get caught up on this verse a little bit. 1 Timothy 4.12 starts off by saying, Don't let anyone think of less of you because you are young. And we quote that part really well. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And often we forget that that's only the first half of the verse. And maybe for you, you're like, well, you know, I don't, I'm not young. So this verse isn't really for me. Um, I would encourage you to put yourself in the shoes of Timothy and have your mentor, whoever that is. If you don't have one, I encourage you to find one. If your mentor was writing you this letter and they know you and they're personally invested in you, replace young with another word. Don't let people look down on you because what is the one thing that you struggle with? What is something that you are insecure about? Because this is what Paul is doing. He's talking to his young pastor friend and he's addressing the insecurities that Timothy is struggling with. And Timothy is obviously insecure about his, about his youthfulness. And I love the fact that Paul says people, because people is all-inclusive, and sometimes we need to include ourselves in that. Don't look down on yourself because you're young. Don't look down on yourself because blank. What would you put in that blank? What would be the thing that your mentor would write to you and say, don't be insecure, don't let this weigh you down? And Paul offers his young friend and he offers us who are feeling these insecurities the solution in the rest of the verse 412 don't let anyone think of less of you because you are young be an example to all believers in what you say in the way you live in your love your faith and your purity and i would dare to say that if we have insecurities about ourselves if there's anything in our life that we're not overly proud of it probably falls in one of these five categories we feel insecure or disqualified to do the things that god has called us to do because you know we can't really control our tongue with this language problem and this joke problem and i just can't seem to kick it we feel insecure because of the way we live we you know we have that secret struggle that we don't want to talk about and we don't want to ask prayer for because i don't want anyone to look down on me i already looked down on myself over it enough not proud of something that I do in my life. I'm not proud of the way that I love people. And this is a big one. Jesus says that the world will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And are we often feel insecure because we had that fight with somebody, we had our, that fight with our spouse, we had a fight with our friend or that coworker, and we didn't really handle it lovingly. I just wanted to be the loudest one in the debate. I don't feel so confident in the way that I handled that in your faith uh, my walk with God isn't where it needs to be and I'm really insecure about this next situation because I don't know if God's going with me in it I'm not where I should be I know that I just don't know how to get to where I need to be in your purity and that probably goes back to the way we live in this personal struggle for some of us mm. Not really fond of how my purity is being handled right now. All these things can add up and tie into these insecurities that we so often 
feel. And so Paul says, here's the solution. Work on these things. Watch what you say. Work on the way you live. Work on your love for one another. And don't just love out of the well that's within you, but love out of the well that there's the Holy Spirit that loves you and overflows out of you. Re-love because you were first loved. Your faith, work on your relationship with God and your purity. (coughs) Excel in these areas. Work on them. So with that, these are my opening thoughts for you. Uh, You have your discussion questions at the table. I will give you 10 minutes to go over them for a bit, and then I will come back and give you some closing thoughts. Um, If if you're still discussing when I pull you back, don't rush off afterwards. I encourage you to stick around, chat, discuss uh, as long as you need because these are big, important things for us to talk about.
Crescendo sunset on a quiet sea. Sitting with the ones that I'll forever love. We're waiting on a flash of green. And even when the night sky comes, you have always held me close. You're the only rock that I could ever stand on. You're the only one for me. The sun goes up, the sun comes down. This whole world keeps spinning round. I'm here traveling down this long.
All right. Let's just put a pause, put a pin in the discussion for now because we need to wrap up the live stream. But again, I want to encourage everyone, do not rush off. Please stay, discuss, um, as these are big things, and it's awesome when the family of God does what we are doing. Um, the series we talked about is You Are Meant for More. And Paul is addressing a young man who is full of insecurities, who is in a challenging situation, and he's basically telling him, you can do it. You got this, Timothy. Yes, you are young. Yes, you have a lot to learn. And yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you can do this. And instead of getting so caught up in the craziness of life, how about you just focus on these few things and do them really well. So just watch the way you live. Watch the words you say. Be an example of love. Love everyone. Grow your faith. Grow in your godliness. And watch your purity. Guard your purity so that you're not disqualified. And work hard. Paul says later on in the chapter, give yourself to your tasks so that the, the church can see your progress, can see your growth. And I think the encouragement is for all of us is the same. Like I said, it may not be youthfulness that disqualifies us, but we have those things that we look into our lives, we look into the mirror, and we're like, I can't do what I'm being asked to do. I'm always amazed how often I have someone in a role of leadership. I've been in ministry for a long time now, and I get that message. I, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do, and it's so hard because, you know, I want to be loving and supportive, but I just want to fire back. You wouldn't have been asked to do what you're doing if I didn't think you could do it. You can do it. You have all the gifts. You have all the talents. I didn't just pull your name out of the hat. I know you can do it. And God knows you can do it. You've got this. And the message is still the same this morning. We all have this call. We all have this passions and these desires. And we have these things that we know God has called us to do. And if you don't know what God's called you to do, there's, there's ways to discover it. You probably just start with asking. But when you know what it is, don't let the lies of the enemy, don't let the lies of the world, don't let the time killers, don't let anything distract you from doing the things that you were meant to do. You are meant for more. And if God is for you, who can be against you? If God has called you, who can prevent you from walking in your calling? You are meant for more. And if God doesn't disqualify us, nothing can disqualify us. You can do it. You can do it. Because the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, lives inside of you and has empowered you and given you all the gifts, all the talents, everything you need to do what you need to do. You are meant for more. And you can do it.